to sit, one hand. Oh, oh, oh. oh the post is broken, Matthew's in it. <laughs> Talk about a he-man. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. This is your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Yeah, welcome everybody, and I mean everybody. Gee, it's been a great response uh, right around Australia where our uh, program goes various times during the week. And you've said that you like it and you want more. So I've delved into the past and I've got some rippers coming up for you in the next few weeks. The VFL and AFL is a wonderful Australian game, as we all know, and thousands of men have played the game at this, the highest level. Some play and move on. Others have more of an impact. A select few make a lasting impression that will indelibly be recorded in the history of the game forever. Today's guest is one of these people. A special player and also a special coach. Played 143 games as a player for North Melbourne and South Melbourne. Two-time Premiership coach at North Melbourne. 15 years AFL coach for North Melbourne and Carlton. Coach of the North Melbourne team of the 20th century and five under-19 premierships from nine consecutive grand finals in an era that this man and Ray Slug Jordan dominated. And so many of our household names are now indelibly recorded in the history of the game because of this man. Dennis Pagan, welcome. Yeah, good morning, Rex. How are you? Well, I'm terrific and just delighted that you've said yes. Uh, where did it all start for you? I know, you know, we'll get to Carlton and we'll get to North and all that sort of stuff, but as a kid running around in metropolitan Melbourne, where did it all start, your love of the game that we all love so much? Um, I was brought up in Station Street, Carlton Rex. Um, went up to Carlton under-12s, which was a, a side that played in the combined Northern Juniors Association and then sort of developed their love of football and played school football and played uh, um, uh, with Carlton on a weekend and uh, graduated from under-12s to under-15s to under-17s and then virtually uh, under-19s. It was a fantastic way to go to the highest level because those under 13, 15, 17 and 19 sides were so important as you went up in, uh, you know, your teenage years. Under 19 football, you know as well as I do, was men's football at the highest level. But it was a wonderful way to climb the tree to the highest level. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, the excitement and uh, expectation of playing uh, each weekend, uh, even at under 19 level, uh, I couldn't wait for the Saturday to come around. You were described uh, by a lot of uh, people as a nuggety back pocket. Was that probably on the mark? Uh, I would probably say a very ordinary conveyance. Well, I don't, I didn't, wouldn't say that because I tell you what, uh, Dennis, uh, the average number of games out of thirteen thousand blokes is thirty-two, mate, and you're about hundred and eleven uh, above that. You started in nineteen sixty-seven, and it was a competition dominated by Geelong and, uh, of course, Richmond. Uh, you know, Essendon, Carlton, thereabouts. But the thing about it is that North Melbourne didn't enjoy success in the time that you started at Arden Street. No, you're exactly right. Um, we really struggled and, you know, we're winning one and two, three games a, a year. Um, but as, as a young footballer, you're not even thinking about that. You're just happy and want to be involved with a, with a football club and, and to play each week and just hope like uh, hell that you play well and the team is successful. And, you know, you probably, it's not until you get a bit older, you understand the, the politics and what actually goes on in a, a VFL 
AFL club as it was then or an AFL club as it is now. And, you know, so many young blokes start off and they're just so wet behind the ears and just want to get a kick and, and, and play each Saturday. I suppose that's what kids are about back then and even now. You just go for a kick. I don't see kids kicking the footy, you know, down the park as much because I suppose they've got a lot more uh, other things on. But that North Melbourne Arden Street game typified the domestic competition in metropolitan Melbourne each week where there were six games on a Saturday. There was no Sunday games or Friday night games. And I can still see and smell the gas coming out of those gasometers. Well, it's certainly not only the, the gasometers, the bis- biscuit uh, factories nearby <laughs> and the flour mills just around the corner. And, you know, I still think of pre-season, uh, those aromas that used to waft over the ground and uh, um, something you never, never forget. At North Melbourne, you were there when Ron Barassi came across after captain coaching and then coaching Carlton to a premiership. Um, tell us about the changes that went there and the players who arrived when you were there, you know, in that early 70s period. Yeah, look, there was a, a um, um, there were a lot of changes. Ron came in, he was very professional, very demanding and, you know, he was uh, uh, in front of the people who'd been before him and, you know, um, the, the kangaroos were able to get Barry Davis across and uh, Johnny Rantel and Richard McElchick and one or two others um, and, uh, you know, started to re- build a bit of success in, in uh, played Richmond in the, the 73 uh, grand final, build up to, to that and, um, you know, it, uh, um, sorry, 74 grand final yeah, it was, 74, yep. 74 grand final it was, um, yeah, and, but, you know, major look second rate on the day and, and Brash wasn't happy with that. I can still remember his, uh, speech after at the, uh, gathering after and they made a lot of changes and I was one of the casualties on the way and, uh, um, you know, they end up, uh, winning in 75, their first premiership North Melbourne. Unfortunately, I, w- I was tipped out and I went to, uh, South Melbourne, South Melbourne and, yeah. uh, you know, it was completely different than a very social time. Um, you know, I was coached by uh, Graham John and uh, Ian Stewart. And Ian Stewart, I thought, was a wonderful coach. Um, um, you know, learned a lot there. And I was just about uh, finished at that stage. I might have been 30, 31, and yeah. uh, went across to the VFA and captain and coach Yarrable. And, and then off to the VFA. So at what point, uh, or was there a point during your VFL career that you thought, gee, there's going to be life after footy? Uh, I've got to feed Cheryl and the kids. And uh, the thing about it is... I'm keen on coaching. Was that the case? No, it just it was just when it all finished up, I just wanted to be involved. Yeah. Um, I thought a, a, a guy that I knew pretty well rang me and said, would you be interested in uh, coming and having a chat about captain and coach uh, Yarraville? Yeah. I, th- I thought to myself, gee, I'd love to do that, you know, uh, start off in coaching, see how you go. You realise that uh, you really needed somebody good on the on the boundary with you, and it was really just about yourself performing and showing the way on the field. Yeah, um, could, I don't think it could, it could ever 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 happen ever again. But it was a wonderful experience to, to be involved in yeah, it. Yeah, and uh, big 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 time back then. The VFA, uh, you know, uh, Saturday was VFL, Sunday VF, VFA. Uh, roll the cameras and start punching. Well, it was pretty tough footy. Um, Yarraville were in the second division, and I think one. I still remember one day against Sunshine, Ricky McLean was coaching against Sunshine at Sunshine at that stage. Yeah, some pretty tough uh, 
guys there, and I think some of the blokes at Yarraville. Uh, Fred Cook been and gone before you got there. Yeah, Freddie Cook was playing with Port Melbourne in yeah. the in the uh, D- Division One. He'd he'd he'd, uh, he'd gone then, and uh, you know people like uh, Mark Fotheringham who kicked a lot of goals in yeah. the in the VFA, and, and John Sharp, a really talented uh, uh, footballer, and you know people like Shane Keogh who who had such such, such successful local. Um, competition. Yeah, yeah uh, blokes football. who just weren't there at the highest level, but going back, they could actually just, uh, you know, show people exactly how talented they were. But it also highlights for me, and I'm sure you, that it, it needs a special effort and, and a little bit of luck to make it at the highest level because so many people just go up the ladder and just can't quite get there, Dennis. No, you're 100% right there, Rex. So you just need the. Uh... You just need a break. There's such a fine line, and you know those guys were virtually training from you know twice a week at six o'clock, and you know the the VFL at that stage were, were getting a little bit more professional, even though they uh, had a way to go. But they were getting more they were more professional than the the VFA clubs, and um, you know you just don't know whether those guys who were in the VFA at that stage. Uh, if, they had, if they had the opportunity and the preparation and the good coaching, it might have made a difference for them. Folks, I'm delighted to have uh, Dennis Pagan, who uh, has uh, had a marvellous career, chatting to us this morning on This Is Your Football Life. It's on behalf of Tobin Brothers, and you know the deal, folks. I I just think it's a shame when you go to a service and you learn all the wonderful things about people. we just got to find out before they go to the Tobin Brothers that these blokes have actually done okay. And where would you like Tobin Brothers funerals to celebrate your life when the time comes? It can be at a church, a chapel, but it can also be places of less conventional venues such as golf clubs, footy ovals, restaurants, theatre. We might even get you and I to the TAB, Dennis, or over <laughs> Port Phillip Bay. The sky's the limit with Tobin Brothers. They will make it happen. Tobin's Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives, and we're celebrating the football life of Dennis Pagan. So after Yarraville, you find yourself back at Arden Street coaching the under-19s. Yeah, that's correct. Um, uh, club rang me and said, could you come back and help the under I didn't actually get the coaching uh, job at the first year. John Ibram, uh, very yes. tough half-forward flanker. Wasn't he a tough was, player? Yeah. yeah, was coaching uh, the under-19s, and Ron Joseph wanted me to come back and be a specialist coach and help out. So uh, I did that for 12 months. So that was around 1980. Um, then I had a wonderful, uh, you know, enjoyable year there, but I wanted to coach in my own right at that stage, and I, I said at the end of the year, um, look, I'm going to go and try and look for a job uh, where I can coach myself. And John Ibram came in, and he, uh, I'm forever grateful to him because he gave me a start. He said, look, Dennis is a better coach than me. He should be coaching the under-19s. Yeah. Um, and I can remember going to uh, Albert Mantello's offices with Ron Joseph and Barry Cable, who was senior coach at the time. And and uh, uh, they said, well, well, we'd like you to coach the under-19s. So it uh, it sort of took off from there. Uh pretty big thing for a bloke to say he's a better coach than me you know what I mean I know there wasn't a lot of money around in those days but it's a pretty big thing and uh, goodness me uh, you'd probably say well thank you very much because it started an unbelievable era for you and North Melbourne under 19s No you're right Rex and you know as I said uh, John Ebram uh, I haven't seen him for many years um, but I'm I'm forever grateful to him because if I never got that opportunity who knows what would have happened whether you would have got chances later on down the track but I was lucky enough to to coach at uh, the Kangaroos 
for 10 years and, you know, we had a, a wonderful time and I'm lucky to be involved with so many good young footballers who went on and made it. Yeah, and some household names, there's no doubt about that. And another character who was head-to-head was Ray uh, Raymond Clarence Jordan, Ray the Slug Jordan. Uh, Bruce Matthews from the Herald Sun was just telling me he's never heard swearing like it. I'd say he could have, wore, he could have written a book on swearing, but once again, he, as, as, as an association footballer, I think he was a rover for Coburg, wasn't That's he? Correct. When, That's when the Brimacone twins played on the wing before they took the wings away. But he, like you, had that special affinity with so many kids who went on to play in premierships and, were ho- and are now household names. No, you're exactly right. He was an outstanding coach, Ray, and uh, he, he was the trendsetter and he was the person you had to uh, uh, look up to. And if you wanted to be successful, um, get past him. And, you know, it, it, I think it made me a better uh, person and uh, hopefully a better coach by, you know, competing with Ray Jordan. And, uh, of course, uh, in 1991, the under-19s disbanded, which I think a lot of people, you know, even today, we used to think about the under-19s and the reserves, such a great breeding ground for kids. But... They disbanded it, and you had another opportunity to uh, just uh, advance in the coaching stakes when you took uh, ESN reserves to the 1992 Premiership. What a great thrill. Yeah, well, it was uh, when the under-19 finished, Rex. Um, I didn't have a job, and um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was thinking about going back to the TAC Cup, and um, Kevin Shooty rang me out of the blue, and uh, um, I'll be, I'll be, I have saying I was forever grateful to John Ibram. Well, Kevin gave me an equally, uh, um, or if not better, chance to come up there and coach uh, Essendon wow. um, reserves, be his assistant. Yeah. And you know, Kevin is, is always one that's encouraged ambition with the people he worked with. You know, um, but I don't it, think he's he's ever been intimidated or frightened to give someone a go by saying, "Oh, he might." Take my place was blokes are a little bit precious, you know what I mean. No, he was all for the cause. Well, exactly. The first time you're there, you know, yeah. um, you know, I want you, okay, Pagan. Let's see how good you can talk. I want yeah. you. There's Madden, Danaher, Watson sitting in the front row, and me and under 19 coach talking to these guys. And yeah. Kevin had come in and he'd say, okay, Pagan, you take training tonight. You know, well, just just things like that that not many people would do. And you thought, how good's this? And it was a wonderful yeah. time up there. And we're, we're a great club and had a wonderful 18 months there. Yeah. It was really special. Pagan is Dennis Pagan, and he's joined us this morning on This Is Your Football Life. Uh, why don't you check us out on Twitter at Rex Football Life for further interviews uh, along the line. And out of the break, we go back to North Melbourne as uh, Dennis Pagan commences the next part in his wonderful, wonderful career. Dennis Pagan is with me, and it's all for Tobin Brothers Funerals, and we're celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Yes, thank you very much to you, Bruce. And we do have a legend here. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Dennis Pagan. He might think he's had a humble career on the playing field, but he's uh, one of... uh, many people who have gone on to coach at the highest level and have some of the game's greatest names speak so highly of him and his coaching skills. OK, Essendon wins the premiership out there in the reserves and all of a sudden Shimmer's coaching North Melbourne 
and you get a phone call. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, I reckon it was the 5th of March, 1993. Um, I was just driving in from uh, work that night. At that stage, I was an agency manager with Sun Alliance Insurance. It was about 5.30 at night. The phone rang, and I thought, oh, gee, it's been a big day. Yeah. And I, I uh, uh, answered the phone, and it was the North Melbourne director, and they said, look, uh, Shimmer's uh, um, no longer coaching. We're interviewing a couple for the job. Uh, there was myself, um, Dermot Burden, who was probably uh, – Maybe six to four favourite. I reckon the Rocket might have been there too, was he? The Rocket was there. I reckon he was five to two second favourite. And I reckon I I was about 66 to one. No, I would have given you 12 to one, mate. (laughs) I'm I'm working as a bookie here, mate. Okay. Um, (laughs) I'm looking for the sting from the pagans. (laughs) (laughs) They they said, look, uh, we're going to have an interview tomorrow afternoon. Are you ready? Yeah. And I said, look, I hadn't had anything prepared. I hadn't even been thinking about it. But luckily enough, I uh, went for the Melbourne job. Um, uh, Has a man asked me to come and um, um, do an interview for the Melbourne job probably wow. six, six months earlier. Yeah. And I found out the night before my interview that they'd already appointed Neil Baum. And I can still remember Ron Joseph. Uh, I rang Ron Joseph. And I said, look, this is, uh, this is silly. And he said, no, they want you to go for the interview. It hasn't been announced uh, officially. Yeah. Um, and I went along. He said, look, you'll learn a hell of a lot. And probably the biggest lesson I learned is the people who interview you, they don't do that too many times. No. And, you know, in the space of an hour or an hour and a half, um, it's amazing what sort of impressions you can make. And he said it'll give you a real opportunity to, to practice your uh, negotiation skills and communication. And that was the best advice I ever uh, um, received. And, you know, Ron, Ron Joseph's uh, um, been such a strong figure in my life in so many areas. And uh, his vice was it was was right again yeah um, anyway um i sat up most of the night getting my dossier prepared no um um was at uh, peter derouche's factory in gray street uh, brunswick yes. north in that in those days had i think they probably had about a dozen or 13 on the board yeah and so i can remember walking into the room there with my briefcase and uh, all my dossiers i'd uh, i'd prepared and i remembered some advice the late ron evans uh, gave me when i was up at essendon i can remember one night after the game talking to him and we were talking about negotiation skills and he said look in any negotiation don't try and be bossy or authoritarian or dictatorial but try and control it that's it and i said to him there's a subtle difference there is and i said i said to him how did you do that ron he said well after the the small chit chat had finished and around a, a board table I always sat down and people looking at each other, who should take the lead. He said, look, my advice to you, and I've always done it, was uh, just stand up quickly and say, gentlemen, would you like me to open the batting? And he did that. Um, and he did it well. And yeah. I, I copied him at the North Melbourne interview. And, uh, um, yeah, you know, I thought, gee, that, that went across well. But yeah. nothing much happened the next day or the day after. And I was still coach of uh, Essendon Reserves then. And, and, uh, and for our people who are a lot younger in life, uh, th- this didn't involve a full-time position, did it? There was no. co- coaching and playing was still part-time back then. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. You know, so um, I drive out to Skinner Reserve. Uh, Essendon Reserves are playing Footscray Reserves. Um, get out there early, and I get a phone call from Greg Miller. Yeah, he could have blown me away. It was about half past eight, and he and I was in the car park by myself, and he said, "You got the North Melbourne job." Wow. So, I was over the moon at that stage. I reckon I was the only person in VFL history who'd had uh, two senior appointments at the same time with two different clubs. Yeah, at 92, uh, North were, you know, 12th, they were, they were way down. But you took them to third in your first year and you got knocked out by West Coast the first week of the finals. But it was 
just the launching pad for a 21-year-old who you appointed captain, a bloke called Wayne Carey, and that was the start of a wonderful, wonderful career by Carey and yourself at North Melbourne. Yeah, it was exciting. I was lucky enough to coach Wayne as a, as a junior, as a 17-year-old, uh, and had him for 18 months at that level, and then he went up to the uh, seniors. And yeah. probably the biggest thing that, you know, I think everyone knew that he was a champion footballer, but the, probably the thing you really observe is how people wanted to follow him. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think you pick leaders. I he, think he was a born leader, wasn't he? Well, he was. They Leaders emerge, and he just stood out to w me. Was and... it just you or, or your committee who decided to appoint him as a 21-year-old captain? Because I think uh, in the history, you look at blokes like Kernahan, there might have been one of the colliers at Collingwood, and David Dench, the dashing fullback at 21. Was, was it a... a a big consideration to appoint a kid so so young to the captaincy? Well, look, at, at that stage, um, uh, I think Wayne Swass was being groomed under uh, under Shimmer. And, um, you know, I'd coached both those boys and I was I was lucky enough to be involved with them. But I just thought, and I, you know, I just liked the way Wayne um, took control on the field and off the field. And, you know, when, when things got tight, he was always there to, to take a mark or kick a goal. And yeah. I hadn't even asked the board at North Melbourne um, for anything. And it was probably one of the first decisions that, uh, you know, we were probably um, second last practice game. And I said to the board, look, um, I'd uh, I'd like Wayne Carey to be captain, yeah. And I and I thought, gee, they're not going to knock back the first request I make. So um, it worked out well, and it worked out well for the Kangaroos. I'm just looking forward to live long enough before I go to the Tobin Brothers for Hutchie to ask me to do this is your football life. And I'll say, just in my career, that uh, you know that uh, Carey is the most dynamic captain centre half forward the game's ever had and I, I played with Royce Hart and I broadcast Sticks Kernahan and my goodness gracious me when you sat behind that glass and you wanted someone to lead by example it was straight to the number 18 and say duck you know what to do well, you didn't even have to say anything. Yeah. You just had to look at him. On-field leader. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think of those Friday night games through the 90s that North might have been, you know, three goals down, uh, four goals down, five minutes before three-quarter time and, and run away and win by five goals. Yeah. And you think, gee, Wayne was terrific in uh, just setting it all up and running with the flight of the ball or taking a big mark inside 50 and kicking a goal. And so many other people uh, improved um, with Wayne's presence and he was very unselfish and had an ability to make sure everybody walked taller. The names of Glenn Archer, Wayne Swass, the horse, Longmire, Johnny Longmire, Corey McKernan, should have won a Brownlow, Anthony Stevens, Brent Harvey, uh, the list goes on. In any other club, they would just be the shining light like a Bartlett or a Kernahan at their club. But the Duck, he was a next level above these guys, and that was how good he was, and it wasn't any detriment to the people I've mentioned, Dennis. No, he wasn't. Um, look, I've said it um, on many occasions, Rex, I think Wayne's the best player that I've seen, yeah. certainly the best player that I've coached um, and there have been some wonderful uh, men at North Melbourne who have made significant contributions and uh, you know I look at Glenn Archer and you mentioned Anthony Stevens there's so many of them. Okay in 1934 Australia snatched the ashes from England and Tobin Brothers funerals began serving the community of Victoria. In the 1980 in the 80 years since <coughs> Leo Fonts and Tom and Kevin launched their fledgling funeral business Tobin Brothers Funerals has served more than 228,000 families and become one of the most respected and trusted funerals companies. Tobin Brothers Funerals are celebrating lives. Now, I've got to bring up something that, uh, you know, I'm not comfortable with and I hope that uh, perhaps you might be. 
it didn't all end well uh, for you at North Melbourne and when you went to Carlton. Uh, but but what, if, what effect does this have on you after you've had such a wonderful, wonderful career? To my mind, looking from the outside in, it would mean you have your ups and your downs and at the end of the day, you're comfortable with what you did. Is that about right? Yeah, look, um, you, you've got to take the good with the bad if you're going to be involved as an, an AFL coach. And, you know, my time had come at North Melbourne and they decided that, you know, they they needed to go in a different direction. And, and you know, it was a sort of a... Um, uh, I got wind that they weren't... They, you know, thought I had too much uh, uh, too much control or too autocratic. And that, yeah. that's fair enough then. Uh, that's their football club. I was just grateful that I had such a, uh, a wonderful period there as a, you know, 30 years there as a, uh, as a player and as an under-19 coach and a senior coach. And I went on, uh, went to Carlton, and uh, that that was probably one of the uh, um, smartest moves that were made. And you yes. know, with all those penalties they had at the start, it ripped the club out, and um, all the politics of Carlton. But look, you just take the good with the bad. And, you do. And you know, even though we were getting beat, you know, I think it's, you know some of the in two thousand and four was probably as um, uh, enjoyable a year as uh, I'd, I'd had in terms of what we achieved and um, with uh, what you yeah, had. With what you had, we had no money. We no. Had, we didn't have a lot of talent. Um, and yet we, at North, you mightn't have the facilities, but you uh, won 63% of your games, which a lot of blokes would like to take that on their CV. Uh, our time is up. It's been wonderful. Uh, the best part of your life now is they're working with your son, Ryan, at Stockdale Lego in Essendon, and uh, you're 67 coming up finals time, and you're going strong, my friend. No, exactly right, uh, uh, Rex. I, uh, what you said earlier about um, you know keeping yourself active and involved, so true. Okay, this has been Dennis Pagan this morning, folks, on This Is Your Football Life, and I'm just delighted to call Dennis a friend because we go back a long, long time in 1968 when he tried to behead a young policeman with hair in the back pocket at the MCG. Thanks to Tobin Brothers, we've been celebrating the football life of Dennis Pagan. Join us next week somewhere in the wonderful world of footy when we unearth another legend of the game. <laughs>